Fantastic. You can take a seat. It's an honor to be here this weekend. I'm so honored that um, Lottie and Loz would have us here and uh, to be able to share with you. And so let's pray and then let's get into the word tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. I pray that you would speak to each one of us tonight. You'd encourage us, Lord God. You'd challenge us. You'd help us to rise up and become all you're calling us to be. And I pray and ask this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, I want to speak a message tonight entitled, When Grace Speaks for You. When Grace Speaks for You. I'll never forget year nine. This fight was going to take place between a guy called Mitchell and Cyrus. It had been the talk of the school uh, for weeks. It had been the the lead up to it. It had been the the death stairs across the playground. There was these verbal kind of sparring matches that kind of took place. And finally, the day came that there was going to be this fight between Mitchell and Cyrus. And you know what it's like when there's a fight in school? Everybody's talking about it. There's the rumor mill of when it's going to take place, what's going to happen, who, who thinks uh, who's going to win the fight. And this kind of happened this day. I remember we got into school in the morning and everyone was talking about the fight taking place. And there was these rumors that it was going to take place at recess. And recess came and went and it didn't happen. And then it came through to lunchtime, and lunchtime came and went, and the fight never happened. And then the talk was, it's going to happen today after school. As soon as the the bell rings, the fight is on in the quadrangle, and the words started to get around, and everyone started to talk about it. And so then, after school finished, everyone gathered around, and here it was, Jamie and Cyrus were coming together. And this fight was to take place. And something crazy happened in the midst of it, just as we thought this fight was going to break out. And and Cyrus and Jamie came face to face. A guy called Mitchell jumped straight in the middle of the fight, who was a friend of Jamie's, and grabbed Cyrus and looked him straight in the eyes and said, Listen, if you're going to get through um, to to Jamie, you're going to have to get through me. And he just held him and they kind of stood there looking at each other, like almost like romantically into each other's eyes for a little while. And then both of them just kind of turned and walked away and the fight was over. And the rumor was that if you ever tried to touch Jamie again, that Mitchell was going to step in every time. And it kind of reminds me a lot about the grace of Jesus Christ in regards to Jesus stepping in for each one of us. When we weren't at our best, when we didn't have it all together, when we couldn't defend ourselves, Jesus came and died on the cross for each one of us so that we could be forgiven of our sin, so that we could be looked after, so that His grace could stand in the gap for each one of us. And I look at my life today and I think, really, when I look back at all the journey that I've been through up until the 29 years of where I am today, all I can see is that God has just continually stepped in the gap for me. He's continually made a way for me. His grace has stood in the gap at times and spoke up for me, even when my behavior, even when the way I was acting wasn't deserving of His love. He has just stood in the gap. Now, my story is that I grew up in Singleton, um, here in the Hunter Valley, obviously only not, not that far from here. And my story was growing up there when I was two years old. My mum was diagnosed with leukemia, le- leukemia cancer. And uh, she went through this, this battle of cancer for about a two-year period and recovered from that, was in remission for about eight, nine years and uh, completely healed. She used to tell her story at a number of different churches around the Hunter Valley of how God had healed her. And then when I was 10 years old, 
I remember my mum getting the phone call from the doctor late at night, about eight o'clock one night, and the, the doctor relayed to my mum on the phone that she had um, got the leukemia back. And it was the same doctor that first diagnosed her with that, and then she'd been diagnosed again that the cancer had returned and that she was going to need to go through chemo and all the therapy and that she had a big fight on her hands. And so ultimately, through that time, my mum went through a a difficult 12, 18-month period where she fought this cancer with everything that she had. And she was strong in faith. You know, there was often times that I would come home and I would see my mum on the piano with tears in her eyes, worshipping God. And the presence of God as you would step into our house at home was almost overwhelming with my mum just holding on to Jesus with everything that she had. I had never seen somebody so strong in the midst of adversity throughout that time. And she was such a rock for my, my dad and my older sister and our whole family. Well, she fought that cancer with everything. And then the day came where she went to what's called the pink room in Singleton. And it's a room where basically you go to die. And uh, we went on a family holiday leading up to that. And, and in my young mind, I guess I thought in a lot of ways things were looking up because we went on this holiday. But the truth was my mom was getting sicker and sicker to the point where she went into this room. And then within a, a matter of weeks, she no longer knew who we were. And then only days after that, passed away. It was devastating. It was heartbreaking for my family, for my dad, for my sister, um, ultimately from that, my, my dad had developed a gambling addiction through the time of that 18 months, just trying to deal with the grief of what my mum was going through. Um, and throughout that time was betting on horses and doing all those kind of things. And that kind of spiraled downward after mum passed away as my, both my dad and my sister went into severe depression and were on antidepressants and all those kind of things that were involved in that. And my dad just spiraled down more and more and more with his gambling addiction. I remember going for a walk with my dad one day and I knew what it was like to have this kind of Christian family where things were all together. We were a church family and things had kind of just spiraled out of control and we went for this walk one day and I said, you know what, I just know something's not right. I remember how happy we were. I remember when things just seemed to be together, when we had our faith right, when we were at church, when it was something that we really pursued with all of our heart, our relationship with Jesus. And it, I just want the old dad back. And it kind of sparked this change in our family because I think all of us realized in that moment that we weren't as happy as we were when our relationship with Jesus was there. And so we made a decision to come back to God and to come back to church and got back involved in all of that and it made a huge difference in our family. My dad got remarried and was happy, had another uh, beautiful little baby who's now my half-sister, who's now 11 years old and it seemed like God had just done a miracle in that situation and my dad got his faith back and was, you know, preaching again at church and, and a lot of areas were just going so well in our family and it was amazing to see that turnaround. When I was 18 years old, my, my dad went over to the Philippines to go and see some of my um, uh, new stepmom's family. And as he was over there, he went to cross the road uh, to go to the bathroom. And as he was doing that, uh, a bus was on the wrong side of the road and hit and killed him instantly as it was speeding past. And I got the phone call from my stepmom, and it was just a horrifying situation, one of those freak accidents that kind of happened and just rocked my world again. And it just kind of made me think, why, why is this all happening? I don't understand this. 
And then it was amazing to me over the, the weeks and months ahead of the incredible support that church family got around us and people that we loved and cared about got around and cared for us and me and my sister and all of the families throughout that time. And God just pulled us through what was a horrific situation with His love and His grace and His peace and people coming alive. And I can tell you, it was a journey. It wasn't one of those things where you just click your fingers and you feel better in an instant. It wasn't one of those moments where you just wake up one day and everything's better. It was just a process. And, t- and still to this day, I miss my mum and my dad so much. And I would love to have a conversation with them. I would love for, to share the memories of, you know, we're, we're, we're about to have another baby and, 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 and that baby to be able to meet my parents and all those things which, which aren't going to be there. But I guess I tell you that story tonight because... I feel like God's grace spoke for me in those situations. When everything on the inside of me wanted to run from God, when everything on the inside of me wanted to run from the plan and the purpose of God for my life, it felt like just time and time again, just waves of God's love was always there. It's incredible because I think God uses people when it comes to outworking His plan. And so when I say waves of love were coming, that was coming through people who cared and looked out for us and loved us in the midst. And I feel like that's the thing that God wants to do in our life. He wants to allow His love and His grace to speak for us, even when we don't have the words to speak. You know, there was times where I didn't want to read my Bible. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to uh, pursue God. But His grace and His love spoke up in the midst of that circumstance. And I just want to look at a passage tonight in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 which is a great story and a great illustration of a moment where Jesus spoke up for somebody and His grace covered somebody in a situation. So Luke chapter 7, verse 36, it's called the story of a sinful woman. It says in verse 36, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went in to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner When she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. I love this, verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Very judgmental from the Pharisees, unsurprisingly. Verse 40, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then it goes on in verse 44 to say, then turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint me my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, 
are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Incredible to me that in this passage, in this story, this woman actually never speaks a word. She never gets to say anything. She never gets to speak up for herself or have any conversation or converse. Nothing is recorded at all of what she says to the Pharisee. The Pharisee had many complaints, many judgments against her, many things to say, but Jesus stood in the gap for her. When she felt ashamed, when she felt she wasn't good enough, when she felt she didn't measure up to the other people in the room, it wasn't her that had to jump in and defend herself. It was Jesus. It says to me a lot about the heart of God for each one of us. When we don't feel like worshipping Him, when we don't feel like we've got it all together, when we feel like we are overwhelmed with life, when we feel like our sins and our history and our past are too great for us to do something great with our life, it's amazing to me how Jesus steps up and says, no, I'm speaking up for you. I have a great plan. I have a great purpose for your life. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies of the religious people because I have something great for this woman. Incredible that God does that and reminds us of that. So I just want to look at three things out of this passage. The first thing that I noticed that Jesus did in this passage is, number one, he cleaned the filter. When this man had all of these accusations against this sinful woman, Jesus kind of steps in and starts reminding the Pharisee that he needs to clean the filter. He says, I have something to say to you. In other words, I don't want you to start seeing this woman in a certain light, seeing her in a certain way. I want you to clean the filter and see the God potential in her. I don't know whether you've ever cleaned the filter of an air conditioner before. And it seems like before the air con, there was hardly any air that was coming through. And then you clean up that air con, you get rid of some of the filth that's in it, and this air just, this air just flows through and it just feels like, hey, that's a completely different air con to what I was using just five minutes before. And it's kind of like that, I think, when it comes to how we see people. At times, we need to clean the filter and see the potential in people instead of the problems that sometimes they can um, express in their life. You know, you think about somebody that's depressed and that's going through a difficult situation. They see things through the filter of that depression. Their emotions and their hurt and their pain start to affect the way that they see things. And this filter on their life starts to affect oftentimes the way they see themselves, the way they see God, the way they see other people. And it starts to change that. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you tonight to allow God to clean the filter. What are some of the wrong thinking? What are some of the wrong thoughts that you've started to express in your life when it comes to yourself? and your potential, and what God has for you, and maybe some of the wrong thoughts that sometimes creep in when it comes to God. We believe that perhaps that God could do a miracle, but we don't believe that God really would do a miracle. Sometimes the thoughts that we have of others, and we we can see their mistakes and their failures, and we can often see that so much greater than the potential that's on the inside of them, and who they actually are. What about the filter of comparison? You know, we all love on Instagram or Facebook the different filters that we can have and we can take a selfie and then we can filter it up. We can all make ourselves look really good and uh, go through that and we give our best little duck face selfies and try and make ourselves look great. But at the end of the day, when someone sees you in person, they see the real you. You can't hide that anymore. 
And sometimes we filter ourselves so much in our lives that we don't actually express who we truly are anymore. Sometimes we compare with other people so much and their happy lives and their happy families and their happy house and all that they have. And we can compare so much that it can cause us to feel depressed about our own life. And comparison kills calling. I remember a few um, months ago, I was on holidays with some of my family and I was there with my little niece, Jess. And she's, um, she's about 16 years old and we were playing the greatest card game on earth called Uno. And uh, we're playing this game on holidays together and going back and forth. And as we were playing, I noticed that I could see, the re- in the reflection of the glass, I could see her cards. <laughs> and so I could, see, I could see exactly what she was about to do. And so I did what every great Christian would do. I started betting on the game. Because I could see what she was going to do. I could see her next moves. And so I said, Jess, I am betting that if I win Uno for three games in a row, that you need to cook me breakfast tomorrow morning. And so we start playing this, uh, this game. She says, all right, she's agrees to the deal. And so we go through the first game. And sure enough, I know every move before she's going to do it. And so I win the first game. And I get through, and, and then I win the second game, and I'm reminding Jess, I said, look, I like my bacon crispy. I like the eggs a little bit runny, a little bit of tomato sauce on the side. I'm starting to stir her up a little bit. And then finally, we get to the third game, and as I'm just watching and watching her cards, again, I outsmart her, and I win the third game. I took it really humbly, running around the house with my shirt over my head, just saying, I'm the greatest you know player of all time, as you do. And uh, then this kind of conviction came over me, that I cheated. And you know what? The, the truth is that when we have comparison in our, in our life, it actually causes us to cheat. When we start looking at the person next to us and looking at their potential and their life and looking at all the great things on their life and starting to disqualify ourselves, it actually causes us to cheat ourselves of the great plan and purpose God has for us. And I wonder in this story, this woman could have been so tempted to look at the Pharisee, which seemed to have it all together, to look at Jesus, to look at all of these great people that seemed to be the religious people that were so perfect. And she could have been so tempted to think, I could never do anything great. Because in the culture of the day, it seems to me that she was known as somebody that was a prostitute, somebody that was, had lived this sinful life and in the eyes of the people looked at her and judged her. But yet I love that Jesus never looked at her for her past and her sin. He looked at her and he seen potential on the inside of her. He looked at her and he loved her. And he cleaned the filter. And not only did he have a clean filter for her himself, but he challenged those that were around her to clean the filter and to not see her that way. And I think it's amazing when you see people and you see their potential, how it's incredible how it opens up opportunities for that person to be able to step into their potential and all that God has for them. And I think gratitude is one of the greatest ways that we can have a turnaround in our thinking and a change in our lives where we start to see things through the right filter. Gratitude to me, it's kind of like a wheel alignment. Life will take you towards negativity. It will drift you off course. It'll take you towards an area where you want to compare, where you want to be somebody else. But I feel like being, having gratitude and thankfulness in our life, it actually starts to get that wheel alignment where we start to get back on the track and the purpose that God has for each one of our lives. So number one, we've got to clean the filter. If we go on in the story, 
It, it goes on to talk about how Jesus starts to then flip the script in the story. And the second point is this, change the story. Clean the filter, number one. Secondly, change the story. If we go back to the passage, Jesus starts to tell this story about a moneylender who had two debtors. And he talks about somebody that had a debt for 500 denarii and somebody that had a debt for 50 denarii. And, he, and then he talks about how that the debt was cleared for both of them and that both of them are forgiven that debt. In fact, what it really did in that story is remind the Pharisee that he was just as much a debtor as this woman is. That he just had a debt just like her, but Jesus entered the situation and changed the story. Jesus entered that circumstance and said, you know what, I'm going to turn this around. I'm going to change the story so that we don't see things the same way that we have been seeing that. And we see the potential and the moments that are there. I've got a, a good friend, Curtis, who I grew up with. And uh, I remember when we were in primary school up until about the third grade, uh, we had the paddle at our school, which meant it was this kind of like big, um, I guess, kind of like stick, kind of wooden spoon, and you could get a smack from the principal. It was up until about grade three when I was at school. And I remember when we were in kindergarten one day, Curtis was throwing paper or doing something, and he got sent to the principal's office to get the paddle. And uh, it was terrifying when you were in a kindergarten to be able to, to be sent to go and get that. And so he kind of went over and uh, my mum was in the canteen watching this transpire and retold the story to us. But she was in the canteen watching and as Curtis kind of walked over towards where the principal was, the principal was teaching a class. And the principal was kind of like angry at the class. She's seen Curtis walk up to the window and seen this principal yelling at the class, getting angry. And Curtis kind of just looking in through the window, absolutely terrified. And so he'd been sent with his little note to explain his bad behavior and to basically say this person needs to receive the paddle. And so my mom watched Curtis just shrink under the windowsill and sit there for about five minutes pondering what he was going to do and then Curtis kind of gets up sneaks away goes towards where the bin is and goes over to the bin then digs some rubbish out of the bin then puts the note at the bottom of the bin and, <laughs> and covers it back over and then he goes, not, not only that, he then walks back over towards where the toilets are. My mum's just watching this all transpire through the window. Then walks back over to where the bubblers are and proceeds to slap his face and throw water on his face so it looks like that he's been crying. And then goes back into the classroom and says that he's received the paddle to, to the teacher and, and, and says that he's, he's really upset and he's really remorseful for what's taken place. And to this day, nothing ever got said. It was just completely assumed that he had received the paddle and it was all kind of done. And it reminds me a lot about how we have this message in our hands 
the gospel, the fact that Jesus has changed the story for our life. And oftentimes we have this message to go out into all the world and to give it to the world, but we often see the world as an angry place. We see people as uh, people that don't want to receive the message, and so therefore we often hide our message. We throw it in the bin, we consume it, and then we walk back to our classroom, that safe place, that church area that we're in, and we just leave it and we leave that message aside. How much should we just go out and take the message of the gospel to people and allow it to change people's lives, allow those moments to to see interaction with people because Jesus has changed the story for us. He's changed the story. I remember a few months ago, magpie season, and I was going out with my little boy who was um, two years old at the time and he's riding his little bike and we were getting swooped by this magpie, it started to come down, and uh, my little boy Cooper was just so consumed with riding his bike, he didn't care. And so I noticed this magpie, you know that sound of a magpie coming down, was like, you can hear its wings, that's a horrible kind of feeling. And so I kind of seen that take place, and I'm like, oh no, it's going to go for Cooper. And so I start leaning over Cooper, he's trying to just ride his bike, and he's just having a laugh, he's thinking it's the most funniest thing in the world, and I'm thinking this magpie wants to take his head off. And so we're going along. I'm just covering him as he's going along on his bike. We're getting swooped. Cooper's laughing, continuing on, having no idea what's really taking place. I'm watching my head, hoping not to get hit by this magpie before we get past and we get, get on through. And I've seen in my life in so many ways how God's done that for me. Our Heavenly Father just covers us and protects us and looks out for us in every season of our life. You know, we're so conditioned to bad news. We go home and each night we watch the news, we watch what's going on and we see rumors of wars, we see all these bad things that are happening and it can often cause us at times to just be consumed with bad news. But I want to remind you again that with the the good news of the gospel, the script has been flipped. Jesus has changed the story. He's changed the story of your life and my life, and He can change the story of people's lives that are around and about us if we allow Him to enter situations just like this woman. He came in and He changed the story. The third thing that we see in this passage and the final thing tonight is this, that Jesus clarified who He was. We see that he, he goes through and that he cleans the filter, that he changes the story and reminds this man that he's a debtor himself. But then he does something radical. He clarifies who he is. And it shocks the Pharisees because he forgives this woman of her sins. And they're thinking, nobody can do that except for God. It was a radical thing. We read over it today and we just think it's a very normal part of the passage because we understand the story and its context. But in that day, it was radical for Jesus to forgive someone of their sins because that was somebody that was saying that they were actually God. And it reminds me about how God loves to do that in our life. He loves to clarify who He is, that He is the forgiver of sins, that He is the God that loves and cares for us. And so many people have a perception of who Jesus is, but they don't actually really know the truth. You know, it's kind of like when you've got a new boss or someone like that at work. I don't know whether you've ever had a situation where you're, you're in a job and there's a new boss that comes in and there's all these rumors that start to swirl around about this boss. And everyone's, oh, they're, very, they're a very angry person, I've heard. 
I've heard at their last place that they, they killed two people and fired another person. And before you know it, these rumors start to come around about how bad these people, this person is, this boss is. And you can hear all these lies. And before you know it, this person has to come and start their job and, and demystify all of these myths that have taken place because of all of these rumors that kind of happen. And the same thing happens when it comes to Jesus. A lot of people have got perceptions about church, religion, Jesus, what it's all about. And it's because they've never experienced and had a clarification of who Christ is. He's the forgiver of sins. He's a hope for humanity. And I want to encourage you to be somebody that helps clarify who Jesus is when it comes to conversations that you have with people. Allow yourself to be in moments where you can change the story. When someone's speaking negatively about the church and about Jesus, be able to be, be able to infiltrate that situation and be able to remind them of the story of your life, of what Jesus has done in your world, and clarify, allow your testimony and your story to be able to alter and change that story. You know, we oftentimes try and do things in our own strength. We oftentimes try and do things, you know, in, in, in what we feel like we've got and our talents and our abilities and our skills. And we can often live our lives in such a way where we're trying to, to do it all on our own. And one thing that I've found is that when it comes to what Jesus has done in the gospel, the percentage that we play is like 1%. We just accept Jesus and he does the rest. He does all of that. And uh, one thing I found with my little boy is he loves to get on my phone. And sometimes when he gets on my phone to play with the apps or to watch a video or something like that, he will turn off the Wi-Fi on my phone. And so it's connected to our home Wi-Fi, but then he'll turn it off and then it'll start racking up data on my phone. And it'll just rack up time and time and time, day after day, and I won't even know that he's turned it off before I, it comes to the end of the month and I get this bill for my phone. And I realized that Cooper has been using the data on my phone rather than the internet that we're paying for. And it's kind of like that's what living life for ourselves and trying to do things in our own strength does. It racks up this bill, but God's grace wants to speak up for us. He wants to cover us. It wants to protect us in every area of our life. So when you present Jesus, you present a choice. And Jesus, in this passage, he goes back and he explains to the people that he is a God that covers us and protects us. His forgiveness and his grace is greater than our sin and our past and our mistakes. And so if the team want to come up, I'm just about to finish. But it says in Psalm 34, 8 to 10, it says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You know, I love this passage tonight because I see myself in the passage. Because in a lot of ways, we are all that sinful woman. We're all that woman that doesn't measure up, that doesn't have it all together, that isn't deserving of God's love. But because of God's grace and His goodness towards us, 
we found ourselves at the feet of Jesus just saying, God, I give you all my adoration, all my devotion, all of me, I, I, I give to you. And in that moment, as we give our life to Jesus and trust Him with everything, trust Him with the big picture of our life, Jesus is given the right to speak up for us. When our sin and our failure and our mistakes seem too great, His grace steps in and He reminds us again that we are worthy, we are loved, and we are good enough. He actually comes and He cleans the filter and He he changes the story of our life. And instead of the trajectory that we're going down, He opens up a new world of potential and opportunity. And then He clarifies who He is, that He's a God of love. He's a heavenly Father that cares for each one of us. And His plans for us are great. And I just, I guess I just wanted to remind you tonight that God's grace is spoken for you. And you may feel like life is crushing you right now. You may feel like there's a season that you're in right now that's difficult and painful and hard. But just like that story of me with Cooper, the enemy's coming down like a magpie trying to take you out, but your heavenly Father's standing above you saying, not today. This is my son. This is my daughter who I love. A lot of people might want to judge you and speak negativity over you, but God's standing there saying, no, 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 not today. I see potential. I see the gold. I see the opportunity. Your story up until this point might have been pain and failure and hurt, but God says, no, no, I've changed the story. I've got great plans for you. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter what you've been through in your life. God can change the story in a moment and turn some negative, evil situations, painful situations, and turn it for good in Jesus' name. So tonight, I wonder whether you could just close your eyes and bow your heads for a moment as I just come to a close. Tonight, I want you to taste and see for yourself the Lord is good. He loves you. Focus on His love tonight on how much He cares for you. I don't know where the condition of your heart is tonight, whether you felt adrift from God or you feel distant from God, but tonight I want to give you an opportunity to, to reconnect with God, to allow His grace to come into your situation, into your life again, to speak for you, even when you feel like you've got no strength left, that His love would be enough that he would stand in the gap. And that is the story of the gospel that he stood there and said, no, you cannot touch my son or daughter because my plans and my purpose for them is great. And if you know in your heart tonight, you need to reconnect with Jesus and make it a priority. Maybe it's been something that you felt dry and just like Pip was talking about before, like the weather and the conditions, it's felt like it's dry and you've been sick in your soul. Tonight is an opportunity to allow God's fresh touch on your life, to receive relationship again and to renew your commitment to Him. So in this place tonight with your eyes closed and heads bowed, if that's you tonight, you'd say, you know what, I want to reconnect and make that commitment again tonight. I want to have this fresh sense of relationship with Jesus. Then if that's you, I want you to lift up your hand and I want to pray for you tonight. I want to pray for a fresh touch of God tonight. I pray that His peace and His strength and His joy would be on you and would surround you. That connection would take place. So that's you tonight. Would you lift up your hand? 
so that I can see you and pray for you tonight. I won't embarrass you or call you out, but I want to pray for you tonight. I'm going to pray collectively for each one of us for God's strength that we'd be reminded that He does speak up for us and He does care for each one of us. Fantastic. Awesome. Would you stand with me tonight? I'd love if you would just repeat this prayer after me and just pray it together. It's a simple prayer of commitment that we're just making sure our focus is on Jesus. As I said this morning, the most important thing in our life is relationships. The rest is just details. When it comes to the end of our life and when, when, when we are lying on our deathbed and I've seen both, I've seen my mum go through that season of coming to the end of her life and I can tell you that it wasn't the details of life that she cared about, it was her relationships that she cared about and that were the bedrocks that mattered most. And so it's amazing that often we can go off track and make all the details and all the little things so much more important than they are. But when we look at the end from the beginning, we can see that relationships what it's all about. Relationship with God comes first. And so I want to pray tonight that our relationship would be strong with Jesus tonight. So would you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Lord Jesus, tonight I offer up again my life to you. I love you. I want to serve you with everything within me. I thank you that your grace speaks for me. Help me to carry this message out into the world. Help me to clean the filter. Help me to change the story. Help me to clarify who you are and be your hands and your feet in this world. In your mighty name, Jesus, amen. Lord, I pray for every person here tonight. I pray for your grace to be upon us, Lord. I pray as we go out this week that you would give us opportunities to to do these things we've heard about tonight, that we've seen a masterclass in how to converse with people, Lord, and that we would clean the filter in how we see people. We wouldn't judge people. We would love people, Lord. I pray you'd help us to to go out amongst people this week, Lord, and you'd help us to, to change the story where people have had a negative experience with church or experience with Christians, Lord, that you'd help us to be light in the world, that we'd spread your love. And Lord, I pray you would help us to clarify who you are, that you're not an angry God, but you're a God who loves and cares for each one of us and that loves and cares for humanity and wants to connect. Help us to be your hands and feet and be used by you, I pray, in your mighty name, Jesus. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the plan and purpose you have for real life church. And I pray, Lord God, that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I pray, Lord God, that you would build your church and that you would see, we would see great increase in this church. We would see salvations, Lord. We would see great leaders raised up, raised up, Lord. We'd see disciples in this church, Lord. We would see the greatest days ahead for Real Life Church Maitland. And we thank you for it. We pray for Lottie and for Loz, for your blessing and your favor to rest upon them, for wisdom and vision for the days ahead, for this great church, I pray. And we thank you. You are not finished yet. You have so much more for this church. In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.